Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. This is, to, this is today's Bible class. Today's Bible class is a Bible study every single day of the week, only about 13 minutes long, but that gets us into God's Word every single day. And that's important for our faith because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So the more we're in God's Word, the stronger our faith should stay and even grow. Now, we encourage you to help other people in your life by sharing these short studies with them. You know people who need to do that, probably some within your own family who need to start turning their life around and come to God. Focus on their relationship with God and with their Savior, their Lord, Jesus Christ. Share these short studies with them through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. But make that commitment and start sharing with your friends, your family members, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally everybody you can every day. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be, but not just for them. It will also be a great blessing for you. So make that commitment and start sharing today. I want us to begin a new line of thought and study today. And I want us to ask a question that should be, well, stimulating for us, perhaps even probing into our thought process. Can God save a crook? Can God save a crook? We look at people around us, and I, from time to time, will look at people who are perhaps making a statement before a judge before some particular criminal who has been found guilty by the jury is sentenced to whatever incarceration period the judge has in mind. And so I'll hear family members, they'll be testifying on the behalf of their victim. Maybe it's somebody who has been murdered by that person, or maybe it's been a manslaughter charge, or maybe it's somebody who has been injured in a severe way, maybe even handicapped, or somebody who has been traumatized in some way through mugging or robbery or beating or whatever it might be. And, and I've, I've been struck a number of times by how people will be calling for the person's head, basically. You know, they, de- they deserve to die. You know, give them the most severe sentence, whatever. And I understand that emotion. I really do. I'm thankful that I've never been in that particular specific situation in my life, but I do understand as well as I can that emotion. But let's think about it from God's perspective. Can God look down on some person who has committed a heinous crime or has lived in just horrible, abject wickedness, and somebody who has just exhibited evil in his or her life on an ongoing basis for an extended period of time, can God save that person? I simply use the word crook as a representative kind of sinful lifestyle of an individual, but that's not the only individual or the only kind of sinful practice that we could keep in mind. Can God save a crook? Can God save, well, you could say a murderer or whatever? I want us to read some verses of scripture, some texts, if you would, from God's word uh, that address this particular question, this, this mindset thought, uh, this mindset. In Luke chapter 15, the first two verses, we find our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
He's eating with a group of people that the community of his day would have looked down upon severely. That all the tax collectors and the sinners, now all the tax collectors and the sinners, you'll find that particular combination of terms or descriptive identities used a number of times in the gospel accounts, tax collectors and sinners. Well, why? Well, certainly you would understand the sinners part. People who have been living in sinful lifestyles recognized as such by the society around them. They're people, and we see that around us today. We see people who are just living in sinful lifestyles on an ongoing basis. That's just the way they live. That's who they are. That's what they are. But then why the tax collectors? Because the tax collectors in the Jewish community of that day were looked down upon by their society as among the lowest of the low when it comes to sinful lifestyles. It's, it's not like, of course, nobody today likes to, play, likes to pay taxes. There might be some rare exceptions to that statement, but we don't like to pay taxes. We don't like to get a phone call and we answer the phone and it says, this is so-and-so from the IRS. <laughs> that sends chills up and down our spine, doesn't it? But it, it was different in that particular culture of that day. Those tax collectors were, by and large, Jewish themselves, but they were cutthroats to a great extent. That's the way the society looked upon them. They would contract with the Roman government to collect taxes for Rome, but then whatever the Roman gover- governor said, this is what you have to collect, at, anything above and beyond that was their own money. And so they'd pocket it themselves. And so they would gouge their fellow Jewish people or citizens uh, out of their money. And they would become wealthy in, in and of themselves. And so the Jewish community looked down upon the tax collectors as being among the worst of the sinners within their society. So that's why you see that phrase or that, that identity, that, that identifying, those identifying terms used a number of times in the gospel accounts, tax collectors and sinners. So when Jewish officials or Jewish religious authorities would see Jesus with tax collectors or tax collectors and sinners, or they would, why would he associate with such horrible people, such sinful, wicked individuals? So then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. That is, drew near to Christ to hear him. Why would they do that? And why would he allow them to do that? Well, the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, they only used the term sinners there. But that included the tax collectors within that descriptive term as well. So the Pharisees, which would be the strictest sect among the Jewish people from a religious perspective, they, why would he do this? And so they would look down upon Jesus if it was not explained to them. And even if it was, they might reject the explanation but they would look down upon him for associating with tax collectors and sinners. Now, we might ask ourselves, how do we reach sinners in whatever category of sinful lifestyle you might describe them? 
without, how do we teach them the gospel without reaching out to them, without spending some time with them to teach them? Do we wait for them to come up, to come to us on their own initiative, or are we supposed to reach out to them with the gospel of Christ? Huh. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Well, let's, let's think about Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, and verses 10 through 13. And here we find our Lord again in this kind of a setting. Now, it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners, there's those two groups of people lumped together again, that many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So came to be in the midst of our Lord. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, you get the idea, the understanding, the mindset that they would have, those Pharisees, you, you need to stay away from such people. You don't associate with such people. Certainly don't eat with them. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, he was using a simple illustration that everybody could relate to. A person who is well doesn't need to go to a doctor. A sick person makes the appointment and shows up in the doctor's office. What was the application? He goes on and he says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was saying, these are the people. And it's not just exclusive to the tax collectors and the sinners that the Pharisees were looking down upon in that day. Jesus said, I came to call Sinners to repentance, not the righteous. And incidentally, nobody is righteous outside of Christ. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and verse, verse 23. Look at this representative list of sinful lifestyles that the Apostle Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's look at verse, verses 9 and 10. Know you yourselves do no wrong. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves. Remember our just Initial question, can God save a crook? Thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And if the text ended there, a lot of people would probably say, ha, see there? You stay away from those kind of people. But the next verse goes on and enlightens us. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 
Now who is Jesus speaking of when he says, of su- and such were some of you? He's writing this to the Christians in the church at Corinth. He says, these sinful lifestyles, yeah. Anybody living in those without repenting, without seeking God's forgiveness through me, the Lord and Savior, or through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, not going to be in heaven. But he says, but such were some of you. Such were? Many of those within the congregation, or at least a number of those within the congregation at Corinth, would have fallen into these classifications or something like them, including being a crook. But Paul says, you've been washed by the blood of Christ as they were baptized into him for the remission of their sins. You were sanctified, set apart from the world in Christ. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So can God save a crook? No question about it. If the crook will come to God through Jesus Christ in repentance and surrender in baptism, so the blood that Jesus shed on the cross on that crook's behalf could cleanse him of the guilt of his sins. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, Father, for having mercy and patience with us and letting us know so clearly that you want us to come to you for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. Help us to embrace that love from you toward us and help us to respond in faithful obedience. Please forgive us, gracious Father. Please forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen.